Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 29. Now, as long as we're talking about dancing different dances, I do think that an excellent experience when you reach like upper intermediate level or advanced level, Mm -hmm. go start taking beginner classes in another dance. Oh, wow. That really helps keep your ego (laughs) in check. And, And I have always found that starting to learn another dance gives me new insight in whatever dance I'm doing. I call it cross training. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, all kinds of benefits. We could probably do a podcast on that too. Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on fire podcast thank you so much for joining us today we have another awesome podcast with you with our four-time returning special guest (laughs) rachel cassandra and today's topic nice to be back thanks yes definitely today's topic is going to be an awesome one we're definitely passionate about it and it's just going to be how to self-assess your dancing and kind of this is going to shine some light of like what level am i what level should i be etc etc and i think this is a topic that applies to dances across the board and we definitely want to the podcast the goal of the podcast is definitely to shed light and help you guys understand the full spectrum of the dancing and what your learning experience uh, can be and hopefully will be all right and great the first thing that we definitely need to talk about is the ego and how that shows up in your learning and your self-assessment. Yep. Some of us just think that we are so awesome <laughs> um, and that therefore we must be, you know, advanced level and mm-hmm. just, you know, a gift to all dancers around <laughs> us. Um Usually you recognize these people, maybe they don't even come to advanced classes. They don't need to take classes anymore because mm-hmm. they're good. Exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I can name multiple people across several dances <laughs> that, that have that, you know. And or sometimes they feel just because they're one of the best dancers in their small local scene that they're they're awesome, you know. But if you put them on a national scale or international scale, that might not be the case anymore, you know. So it's easy to kind of be the quote unquote big fish in a small pond. But yeah, arrogance definitely shows up in the dance scene in, in not a healthy way. Um, and that can definitely help skew or definitely can affect skewing your 
viewpoint of what your skill level really is. And then we have people at the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, dealing with insecurities. Some of us, this was me when I started dancing. I was like, I am the worst. I'm so bad at this. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, all of us have insecurities. And if you didn't grow up dancing, it can feel really unnatural to kind of be out there moving Mm -hmm. your body. You feel like everyone's watching you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's totally possible to have a kind of dance dysmorphia. To like really think that you are terrible, that mm. you look stupid, that everyone hates dancing with you, when in reality, you're doing just fine. You know, you might be at a beginner level, you might be at a higher level, um, but I think there there are personality types that tend to be really... They beat themselves know, up. Yeah, exactly. And... The way that people show up in the dance scene sometimes is sometimes a reflection of how they show up off the dance floor. But I know some so many people that sometimes it's like they think they make they make a mistake, you know, and then they treat that mistake as if I mean they blew up the White House or something like that, you know. <laughs> and it's like you just you just had your balance on the wrong foot. It's okay, like let the <laughs> let that the was mistake. Me. That was me. Like I would be like on the wrong foot, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, and then the rest of the entire dance, I would just be like, yes, uh huh, and then <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Like mistakes are going to happen and perfection doesn't exist so you just have to flow with that you know and sometimes in my private lessons it's kind of it, sometimes it boils down to like a, a pep talk like hey yeah. you're, you're not a yeah. bad dancer at all like i enjoy dancing with you just going to focus on these couple things and there's always room to improve and like i say in many podcasts art is infinite so if you do embark on learning an art is going to be this ever-growing ever-evolving thing you know And I think that's really the answer to um, both ends of the spectrum, whether you're really full of ego or really full of insecurity. um, We just all need to be reminded that everybody in the dance scene, hopefully, (laughs) ideally, is continuing to learn Mm -hmm. regardless of what level you you, uh, attain. Mm -hmm. There is still more to explore and to refine and to... um, you know, to hone. Yes, definitely. It's it's ever it's an ever going thing. Even if you have the title of a quote unquote instructor, you're still a student, you know? So we're just students teaching other students to become better dancers, you know? And like we have teachers and then they teach us and then et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yep. Absolutely. So we have some tools of assessment here that people use on the dance floor we have some kind of bad ones that aren't really valid that some people use to kind of buffer their skill level or their ego and then we have some more valid reasons that you guys can use to really assess what your level is but we're going to start off with the not so good ones so if you've ever been to a social dance you have been asked this question so how long have you been dancing (laughs) definitely And let's say somebody responded, oh, I've been dancing five years. Wow, that's a long time. He must be an awesome dancer, you know, or that person say, oh, I've been dancing five years. That means I have lots of experience, you know, because I've been you've only been dancing one. So that means five is greater than one. So that means I must be better. Right. Um, Not necessarily, you know, because we don't know what that person has done for the five years, you know. 
how many hours has that person really put into their learning? Does that mean, does five years mean one social dance a month? Does that mean 10 hours of training a week during those five years? You know, you're going to get a lot of uh, different experience, you know? So the amount of those videos probably recently that are about like, you know, 10,000 hours to mastery. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some, some research done that said, okay, if you work on something intentionally, uh, for 10,000 hours, then you will become a master. Mm-hmm. And so saying that you've done something for a certain number of years really is not very clear. Uh, admittedly, it would be weird. Like even if, I mean, I certainly haven't kept a tally. I could mm-hmm. probably go back and estimate, you know, based on certain phases of my life, mm-hmm. how many hours did I work on salsa? Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be weird if you answered that. How long have you been dancing? I've mm-hmm. been dancing for 3,672 hours. <laughs> oh. But it really does okay. put things into perspective, you know, because if you take a look at pilots, they count the hours that they've been in the air, you know. Of course, there's something a lot more specific and technical and things like that, you know. And then I know yoga training, sometimes they count the number of training that they've done in their hours, you know, so I don't think it's far fetched, well, maybe for true. an instructor. That's true. In, in teaching, um, at least during your certification, um, I know the number of hours I spent in internship um, and the number of hours that I spent in supervised um, classroom settings. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fair. Yep. But that will be a better assessment than the years of experience that you have because there's so many variables that happen to their years of experience. It's like, oh, I've been dancing five years. That could be one year where you're kind of gung-ho, two years you took off, and then you're coming back into it again, you know? So there's just a lot of variables yeah, into that. I always feel awkward kind of on the flip side. I'll, I'll show up very rarely at a milonga or a tango class. People say, oh, how long have you been doing tango? And I mean, I don't want to tell them that my first tango lesson was in 2005 mm-hmm. because I maybe have had <laughs> a total of like 40, maybe, maybe 40 hours total of tango class and social put together in the last 10 years. Exactly. So I'm not going to tell them <laughs> I've been dancing tango for 10 years. Like <laughs> That would be very misleading. Mm-hmm. So I think really... It is true. Experience matters, but it's just too easy to make assumptions when you put it in that common, you know, years or months. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put a link to a blog here that Laura River wrote um, that was that is titled Why 10 Years of Experience Does Not Make You a Great Dancer. And you guys will be able to check that out and basically read more on this particular subject. But we're going to keep the podcast train chugging along (laughs) um Um, we have completing certain levels of dance class so i just finished um the beginner series so now i'm intermediate (laughs) right (laughs) and they don't have to take a basis class ever again I've, i've i've took my my one month of beginners what are you talking about i'm intermediate now right yep not necessarily Actually, necessarily not. Let's, yes. just, let's just put it that way. <laughs> There's so much to the basics that will con- continually evolve. Even with me, like four years in the game with Kizomba and being pretty active with my teaching and dancing and social dancing, I still feel my basics improving, you know, in the last two months. So, yeah, yeah no, you never you never stop working on your basics. And I know there are schools, there are schools um, that I have um you know, come into contact with that actually requires students to complete a beginner series 
twice mm. before they can move on to the next upper beginner series, you know, um, and I think that there is value to that kind of policy. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've seen people use to say, oh, I must be a good dancer is because after I finish social dancing with another person, they smile at me. They say thank you. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you're just being courteous or polite on the dance floor, you can smile like, OK, I know not to dance with that person again, you know, or that wasn't really uh, awesome dance because people aren't going to like, oh, that was a bad dance. Like how often does somebody frown at you at, at the end of a social yeah. dance? You know? Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of social pressure um, on all of us not to make someone feel bad about themselves. Now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, not everyone cares about this, but I think, <laughs> I think most of us want people to feel like the, you know, they're doing well and they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in a case, you know, n- not necessarily where you're doing a bad job, but still just because you've had a couple people say, Oh, thanks. I love dancing with you. Oh, you're such a fun dancer. You know, Oh, you're so creative. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, I mean, it's certainly great to receive positive feedback, but maybe that's not quite enough to let you know, what level? Well, we don't know how experienced that person is. It's giving you the feedback, you know? Yep. And or what's where it's their coming motive? from. Yes. I might tell a beginner dancer uh, who's doing some kind of weird stuff, mm-hmm. um, but who's clearly having a good time. I would say, oh, yeah, you're so creative. And like, I mean, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I will admit I wouldn't do that in Kizomba mm-hmm. because I like have a very serious heart for building you know, a community that does value. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you steps. can just focus on like, let's but, say, but if I go to like a swing dance and someone does something really weird, <laughs> instead of being like, you dance really weird. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, Oh, you're creative. Exactly. And it, <laughs> it might not even be ill will. That means you can dance with a beginner. It might've been a mediocre dance or something like that. But I mean, you're not going to say, Oh, I had fireworks dancing with, you, you know, but you want that person so you want to acknowledge that the person actually came out to a social, the person's out dancing and stuff like that. So you give them some positive reinforcement, but that doesn't give you the whole picture, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. When you say to someone, oh, that was really great. You might mean really great considering your level. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, there's, there's different things to it, you know? So that that's not the best place to judge your, your, what your assessment or of dance might be, you know? Another thing that I see very commonly out, um, is people wanting to dance with an international superstar instructor and say, oh, well, I'm an awesome follow because I was able to dance with so-and-so, you know, and here's the video I'm going to put on Facebook so people can see me dancing. And uh, that means I must be an advanced or intermediate dancer, you know, but there's a thing called dance compensation. And a, a good leader should be able to make you look good because they lead so well. But that doesn't mean that you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing as a follow. You know, um, I have some followers that dance with me. I'm like, well, we got through the dance and to them it was awesome. But for me, it's like I felt like I was grabbing a bull by the horns, you know, but I'm <laughs> yeah, not going to tell them that, that at the end of the dance, <laughs> you know, but you want to be encouraging, especially as an instructor, you know, but. Um, there's going to be a smile. There's going to be a thank you for the dance. You're out. You're having fun and stuff like that. But I'm not going to have a list of all the things that they need to work on at the end of a social dance, you know? Yeah. Now, you and I, Charles, have talked about um, some of the different skills 
that exists, the different aspects of dancing, mm-hmm. um, you know, instructing versus social dancing versus performing versus creating choreography, mm-hmm. you know, DJing. There are all these things that are part of the scene. And um, one of the common confusions that is out there is, um, well, I'm on a performance team. So I am awesome at dancing in general. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So from a professional level, an awesome performer um, isn't going to be necessarily awesome social dancer, like improvisation, you know, like you can be awesome at choreo and memorizing, memorizing choreo and you can have 10 choreos in your brain that you can memorize, you know, but improvisation is a little bit trickier, you know, or being able to connect with a, a, a dancer that's not at your quote unquote superstar status you know there's different things that go into that but there seems to be like this clout of people and this is coming from feedback that i've gotten not just in my head of people on performance teams and they kind of get into like these little clicks and they dance among themselves because they're they're awesome you know and they they kind of look down on other dancers and things like that who aren't on the performance team and they kind of use it as a way as a leg up to kind of create this um totem pole if you will you know yeah, and I, I think it makes sense to be, um, you know, to some extent proud of having put in the effort. I mean, being on a performance team does require many hours of practice and dancing choreography well is a skill. It's an mm-hmm. amazing one. I know for me, I started out life as a musician and and I can read music and I can play music um, and I can interpret it, but if you want me to create something on the go, if you want me to be part of a, a jazz quartet, mm-hmm. I am going to be basically <laughs> entirely incapable of doing that. Mm-hmm. But on the dance floor, for me, it's the opposite. I really have trouble learning choreography. Uh, yeah, um, it's one of the frustrating things that I find in some upper level um, classes at festivals is mm-hmm. they're not teaching an idea Um, they're teaching a choreography and Mm -hmm. I struggle with doing the choreography exactly the right way. Now, I personally don't care in that context if I do the choreography correctly as Mm -hmm. long as I'm exploring the concept, but I do have, you know, followers coming through the class who are like, no, it's not like that. And I'm like, I know, but I don't care what the choreography is. Exactly. If you've taken a class with me, at some point you've heard me say, okay, I'm really not about choreography. I'll like be teaching one because it's a class that like we're exploring certain moves and when it comes time to do the demo at the end i'm like wait uh (laughs) what was the choreography um so yeah it's just i think it's important to recognize that those are different skills and just having that experience is not enough to say okay i'm an advanced dancer definitely so a thought that came to mind was so performance teams doesn't necessarily mean that you're an advanced dancer or intermediate dancer because I definitely had an experience to where you see somebody awesome performing on stage, but then they couldn't really connect to you on the social dance floor, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, like, if you take a look at some festivals, like dance festivals, awesome, I'm not belittling dance festivals at all or anything like that, but sometimes the, the misconception is that, like, an awesome performer is going to be an awesome instructor, you know? So yeah. you have people, and typically the people that go to the festivals are like people who do awesome performances, you know? And then, yep. so they're awesome at choreography and then they go and teach the classes to all these people that are coming who love their performances and they teach a pattern, which is just a mini choreography, but they're not really teaching the technique of like being in the moment and the technique of actually leading and following, you know? So you get yeah, to this point enabling where... enabling people to be able to create for themselves. Yeah, That's and lacking. so... 
if, if you're just re- regurgitating a pattern that you learn from um, class, it doesn't mean like you're creative. It doesn't mean that you're musical or anything like that. There's so much to it, you know. Now, learning patterns and combinations definitely has its its merits, you know. But it's not the end all, be all, you know. Yeah. So I think another skill that's out there related to performance um, is competition. Some people have presence um, or a bag of tricks or whatever, and they really do well in competitions because mm-hmm. of those skills. Um, but just because you've won a competition doesn't necessarily make you the best dancer, mm-hmm. even of even among your competitors, right? Because somebody could be having a bad day. Mm-hmm. The judges could have been looking for a particular thing. So exactly. I think it's important, even when you have, you know, those wins under your belt, sure, take pride in that, but then don't let that be like the defining thing for you. Um, I know some really amazing dancers that just completely choke mm-hmm. in competitions and, and that's just not something they enjoy and it's not something that they can do well in. Definitely. And the last one here would be just because you're an instructor doesn't mean that you're an awesome dancer either. You know, Um, you have instructors at all different kind of levels. You have, I mean, beginners that decide to teach and there's definitely nothing wrong with this. Everybody has to start somewhere. I started teaching Kizomba four months after I started learning it just because the studio was like, hey, we want to do Kizomba. I'm like, hey, I've never taught a class before. Yeah, we had no, you know, we didn't have a base of Mm -hmm. people to where you could point to someone and say, oh, no, you should hire them. They mm-hmm. have more experience. There was there was nobody. And so many people who had very little experience but wanted to see Kizomba growing in their scene, they mm-hmm. took on that role. Like, I'm a teacher. Um, but I think, unfortunately, sometimes people might feel insecure about the fact that like they're teaching, but they're not really very advanced. And mm-hmm. then they... Instead of just openly saying, I'm still learning, you know, they they kind of want to hide the fact that they're not already masters. You know, they only want to be seen to take advanced classes yeah, to sort of validate sure. that status. Yeah. And so there's I mean, we're students. An instructor is a student and they should, he, a stu- an instructor should be able to out student his students, you know. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. So it's just a student teaching another student, you know, and like that humility aspect. Um, I talk about this in the blog that I've mentioned before, the a glance at the five talents of world-class Uber dancers where we talk about uh, performing skills, social dancing skill, uh, teaching skill, uh, marketing and networking, and then humility is, is really, really awesome. And one of the most humble dancers that I've ever got the chance to, to interview was uh, Alien Ramirez, who's won the freaking world championship like 18 times or something like that. But you sit down, you talk with this woman. Oh my goodness. You just want to like hug her to bits and pieces because she's so (laughs) humble, you know? And it just sets the tone for me is like, I can never get big headed because look at this person. She's like the awesome role model of like how to be humble, regardless of how much you have accomplished. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about some more valid means of assessment. Definitely. Basically, we encourage you not to only self-assess. Mm-hmm. It's just very hard. Whether you have a big ego or you have insecurities, there's always something that's coloring your perception. And so having a look from the outside makes a big difference. And I think one of the first places to get that kind of feedback is from 
your local instructor, someone who's been teaching you through a few different series, or if you're the kind of person that's, you know, kind of just traveling to these weekend workshops periodically, you know, check in with that person who's seen you over a period of time, um, because they're going to have a better idea of really what your strengths and weaknesses are and what level that, you know, could give you. Definitely. Another awesome way to assess your level would be to take private lessons and invest in those private lessons. Um, a person can give you somebody who has more experience. It's actually that you respect and want to maybe you idolize or admire them or have some amount of um, respect for private lessons. Definitely a way to kind of let them know hey, this is where you're at. These are the things we should work on, things like that help hone in on those basics and techniques. And so you're getting feedback from an instructor that you can trust to let you know the truth of what it is. And the reason why I say the truth is because sometimes, depending on the instructor and their students, sometimes I know some instructors that are overly sugar coatery, you know, like mm-hmm. they really, really don't, they have an issue giving people um, direct feedback, you know? And it's hard for them to tell them the mistakes because you don't want to lose that student. You want them to keep coming to class. You want them to feel good about themselves. And Mm -hmm. learning that you're not doing something well can be frustrating, you know. So sometimes I know instructors hold back um, that feedback, you know. But you have to really find the fine line to communicate. Hey, these are the things that you're doing well. These are the things that we can improve on. There's always room for improvement, you know. But I feel like there are definitely some dancers out there that are definitely like, oh, well, my instructor says I'm awesome, so I must be awesome, you know? And But then they go somewhere else and they really get a whole different level of something that just not in their local scene and then they're in for like a surprise, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, we mentioned earlier the reaction of people after they dance with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as being not a very useful tool for assessment. Um, but in contrast, I think something that can be an encouragement for you that says that you are doing well as a social dancer is when people are seeking you out for dances. As soon as you arrive, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I want to dance with you. Uh, when people are calling dibs, you know, or save me a song, uh, or in the more extreme cases, you know, they're waiting in line for their chance to dance with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, then you can then you can say that you are doing very well on the social floor. Not to say that you have nothing left to learn, and mm-hmm, that's the end all sure. be all. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely appropriate validation. I would say so for sure. Like, if you find yourself you're not off the dance floor, you know, that's that's pretty good. But then also seeing, okay, what city are you in? Are you at a congress or a festival? How many other people are dancing on the floor? You know. Yeah, definitely consider the context. Hmm. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule in the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart on Fire listeners, 
30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. Um, and then I think if you're trying to assess your level for a particular workshop or festival, okay, should I be in the intermediate track? Can I take this master class? Um, you know, whatever it is, it, it can really be helpful to reach out to the organizers or the instructor to ask what the posted levels mean. Now, I'll admit, not all organizers are on top of this. Um, but ideally, there is some kind of definition in mind for what an improver is, what an intermediate is. And that definitely varies by event, by region, by instructor. Um, but if you check in with them and they say, oh, well, you know, ideally you should have already learned these things. You should be comfortable with these things. And if you hear something on that list that you are not comfortable with, that's a red flag. You don't want to be in that class or that level. For sure. Something that I've been trying to do um, with my lessons and something, a thought that I've, that's kind of been at the back of my mind over the past couple of years of me teaching is like really like recording a video of the weekend workshops that I, I teach at and let people know, hey, this is what I'm teaching. This is what you should be able to do and handle without panicking, you know, to kind of mm -hmm. set the tone. And this is all levels and stuff like that, because the more um, tenured your, your dance scene gets, the more you have to kind of set the expectations of what levels you're catering to. So that those people are able to get what they paid for at that level, you know. Um, yeah, some exactly. of the hardest classes are teaches to teach are all levels classes, you know, like sometimes I say you have oh, absolutely <laughs> no, 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 not some of the most <laughs> difficult lessons to teach are the ones where you are going to have anybody show up. Mm hmm. And you have people that have been dancing for five years and somebody who's their first day. I mean, as yeah. an instructor, those are like really, really, really tough to teach, you know, but if people are able to abide by and people and then the organizing instructor pre-plan and lay out a formula or not a mm -hmm. formula to speak, but like a, a, a game structure. plan for the weekend, a yeah. structure for the weekend. Take advantage of that, that they're actually doing that because not a lot of instructors do that, but they're really just trying to give you value at your level, you know, so that that's extra time and effort and, and planning and things like that. But it's all for you, the end user, the dancers, so you can uh, level up your dancing at your level. So let's talk about what your level means. I mean, we attach all kind of value to these labels, beginner, mm. intermediate, in some master. countries, improvers, advanced masters, all these things. Um, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is just a general idea of what you are probably working on. Mm -hmm. And what you need to learn next. Yes, for sure. And and sometimes it's not obvious of what you should learn next, you know, because I know in the terms of like salsa, bachata, uh, even kizoma, I have a little bit more experience in those realms than the other dances. But there isn't a set curriculum, you know, to say, OK, right. well, you could mm -hmm. complete it, X things. And sometimes getting to a certain level, you have three or four options of what you can improve on, you know, from body yeah. movement to timing to musicality there's several skill sets that you have to kind of improve on you know which one in what order it really kind of depends on on you at that particular time but again if you have an instructor that's taking time out to suggest or formulate some kind of curriculum for you i think that should be taken advantage of to to its fullest yeah i think if you're within one school it definitely makes sense to follow the progression 
that is laid out for you. At a festival, it can definitely be more fluid. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, you can be a beginner for a long time and be a much, you know, well-rounded beginner than another person who also shares that label beginner. And that's mm-hmm. fine. That doesn't necessarily make you an intermediate dancer, but you will be there sooner than that person. Fine. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, as intermediates, I think like really people, um, too quickly assume that they're ready for advanced classes, but they've kind of missed the point of what the difference is between intermediate and advanced. Um, mm-hmm. People want to learn the next cool thing, mm-hmm. not realizing that, you know, most of the time beginners are learning foundations mm-hmm. and we all need an excellent foundation and you don't want to only have one corner of your house. You need all of the, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the foundation. And um, foundations and- need to be maintained. Yeah, well, we'll get back to that, definitely. <laughs> um, for intermediate dancers, you know, you have to learn, well, it's like the, all the structure of the house, all the moves and the important techniques and, you know, really exploring connection. There's so much stuff that should be done at an intermediate level and shouldn't feel like you need to rush through that. You know, it's not like, oh, well, I've been an intermediate level dancer for six months, for two years, for three years. Like, that's great. <laughs> Because really, an advanced dancer, when you're taking advanced classes, you're coming back to your foundations, but with a new view from your enhanced technique. You're revisiting moves or similar types of moves that you learned in intermediate, but now you have added possibilities, variations for musicality. You're just drilling down deeper into you know, what has already been given to you. Most definitely. There's so much to say about this, but I know we get so caught up on like wearing a particular title in dance and it's really you just have to own where you are at this particular moment. You know, um, there isn't a destination, you know, like people say success isn't a, de- a destination. It's the journey, you know, so you have to really focus on that journey and not get so caught up on the levels of the classes. Yeah, someone told me something that's kind of stuck with me, which is that you know, beginners uh, often, you know, they'll just dance with anyone who asks them. They may not know if they're doing well or not. They're just kind of struggling through it. Um, intermediate dancers, suddenly the attitude changes. They can mm-hmm. only dance with people that are at their level or above. And and it, it isn't just a, like who they will dance with. It actually somehow this attitude, which is not universal, but very common, it actually impedes their ability to dance well with beginners. Mm-hmm. And arriving at an advanced level means that you can dance well with everyone and you find value and creativity in all of your dances. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You have to make best with the people, you know? And I've definitely had really, really, um, actually, just I just got back from two weeks in teaching in, in Nova Scotia in Halifax. And there's this one dancer there. Her name is Audrey. And I was caught between Audrey and Aubrey, but I think it's Audrey. (laughs) Um, But she hadn't been dancing for a while because she dances flamenco and other dances. But we had a really, really, really nice connection. I couldn't do anything super advanced, but sometimes you just find that you vibe on the same frequency, you know, and it's just enjoyable, you know. And those are my best dances of that particular social war with her just because we kind of clicked and I just did my basics, simple Saidas and stuff like that. But I was able to flow with the music and it was really enjoyable when you can take 
enjoyment out of those dances where you're not doing you, you don't have to dance at your highest level you know yeah and i think that's true in classes as well you know don't go to too high a level of class it's a disservice to you to your learning you're going to be wrestling with things mm-hmm. you know that you're not really ready for and it's also a disservice to the other people in the class who are at that level right and i mean yeah. Uh, the advanced dancers of a particular dancing, I mean, you definitely want those people to continue learning and not stagnate and not get too cocky or anything like that. So if they're coming out to learn, I think we should owe them the respect of let them get better, let them keep dancing, let them keep finding their inspiration versus frustration of a watered down advanced class. And that's a common thing that you hear so often among salsa, among bachata, among kizomba, like you do an advanced class or a master class and everybody and their mama shows up and the instructor sees that and it's like, well, I can't even teach what I want because you guys can't even do the core move of what I'm trying to like embellish or mm-hmm. make advanced, you know? And then it's discouraging and frustrating for those advanced dancers. So now why am I going to invest in advanced class? Because everybody's just going to show up now. And that's, you don't want those dancers to stagnate because those are the ones that kind of set the bar of your local dancing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in turn, yeah, we've all experienced that where the class is at a lower level than you expected. But don't just sigh with exasperation and go get a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, you, If you come to class with an attitude of, I can learn, I can learn from anyone and I can learn at all different levels, you will find something something that you hadn't thought about in that way or Mm -hmm. a way to apply a technique that you've been working on to this, you know, move that you've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think all of us, you can always go back to beginner classes. You can always benefit from classes that are at a lower level than where you think you are or even where you really are as long as you have that attitude of really being ready to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things came to mind. Um, to flip the coin of what I was saying before about the advanced dancers being frustrated about an advanced class not being at the level that it was uh, advertised as. On the flip side, you can kind of like, well, you also need beginner dancers to make sure that your scene grows, you know, because you don't want your dancing to stagnate. You know, you want there to be a, a fresh wave of new people coming into the dance because then you won't have other advanced dancers to get to your level to have them to dance with, you know. So you're kind of like helping the the future generation of those dancers to get to your level. So that way you have more people to dance with at a higher level at your local in your local scene or your national scene there's different dancers out there that'll travel you know but it it helps people out you know totally so i think the bottom line here of what we're saying is don't be too hung up on your level try to be realistic and most importantly seek connection with people on the dance floor regardless of what their level is it's it's it, it, it opens up your world when you focus on the connection of the person and not trying to judge their skill level you know it's like Instead of focusing on all the things that they can't do or that they're stumbling with, find the one thing that they're able to do well and and focus on that or hone in on that. You know, Um, people are going to be dancing at different levels. People have different reasons for dancing, but people definitely want to connect. And that connection aspect, you're not focusing on the moves. You're just looking, Okay, 
what what can I do to connect with this unique person that I'm dancing with? And every person has their own unique vibe, their unique energy, their unique skill set. Um, when I'm dancing with Kizomba with somebody and they have a tango background, I can feel that. And so I'll try to cater to that. If I'm dancing with some lady who does belly dance and we happen to do Tadashinya, okay, I'm not well versed in belly dance, but let's try to move the hips around to give them a chance to highlight their strengths. And, and there's many different ways where you can kind of feel somebody's dance, quote unquote, accents, you know, um, mm-hmm. of what their dominant dance was, but it just makes them unique, you know, instead of trying to fit them in, into your perspective, try to meet them halfway. Yep. Uh, somebody was talking to me about dance accents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. You know, we don't all need to speak with the same accent in English, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are some people that think we should all have the same English mm-hmm. accent. Uh, every time I'm in the UK, I have to be like, yeah, I teach American English <laughs> so that I don't get smacked down. Um, but I think, you know, at least in the United States, we really appreciate a lot of different accents. We find mm-hmm. them charming. We find them intriguing. And mm-hmm. I think that that should also be our attitude on the dance floor. I agree wholeheartedly. Another awesome podcast with the lovely Rachel Cassandra folks. She is going to be back again for sure. You can, I'm sure you can feel the, the passion emanating through our voices, getting to you <laughs> in your car or through your headphones or wherever you may be. But these conversations, sometimes depending on where you're at, don't happen very often, you know, and we're definitely passionate about people to continue to dance. Um, I don't care what you're dancing, swing, salsa, bachata, zook, whatever it is that you're dancing, keep dancing. It's, it's, I can't out and say, oh, you sh- everybody needs to dance Kizoma. If Kizoma works for you, dance Kizoma. If salsa is your thing, dance salsa. But there's definitely things that we can all do to kind of enhance that experience and make it more enjoyable for everybody. And I think that's what Rachel is able to bring to the table with her experience in a lot of different dances. And it just makes to grab those contacts and those anecdotes from a lot of different places kind of really helps set the perspective for hopefully you guys here that are listening to the podcast, which we definitely appreciate. Now, as long as we're talking about dancing different dances, I do think that an excellent experience when you reach like upper intermediate level or advanced level, mm-hmm. go start taking beginner classes in another dance. Oh, wow. That really helps keep your ego in check. <laughs> and and I have always found that starting to learn another dance gives me new insight in whatever dance I'm doing. I call it cross training. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all kinds of benefits. We could probably do a podcast on that too. <laughs> a tango. I've been to a tango festival. I've been to a West Coast swing class not too long ago. And man, I felt like a fish out of water. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was really humbling, you know, like to yeah, put things in perspective yeah. and then just not forget you're able to empathize with the students who are, doing the same thing in your classes as an instructor, you know? So there's really no reason for ego at all. It's like, this is where we're at. Let's see how we can make the best step, the the best next step, you know? We're all learning. Awesome. All right, Rachel, as always, I give you the opportunity to share any closing words that you'd like to share and then also about your awesome resources online so people can check those out. Right, so uh, kizombacommunity.com. Uh, we're all about helping people build better dance communities. And so there's lots of resources there, uh, specifically about Kizomba information, videos to help you get better at dancing. Um, but we also have a lot of community resources, things about etiquette and communication, um, history and culture, 
uh, how to facilitate um, better human interactions Mm -hmm. and yeah, lots of stuff like that. So if you haven't had a chance to just wander and explore, I encourage you to head on over to kizombacommunity.com and see, you know, what might pique your interest. Definitely. And we'll put the links to those show notes in the website here. Um, You just have to go to the page and find those links there to find Rachel and all of her awesomeness online. Once again, (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much for being a guest here on the podcast. I definitely appreciate it hearing um, your stories and your insights and how we can all improve. And then I love the platform of a podcast to give these things um, a really a due, due diligence as you can kind of expound on these these topics so much more that really can enhance and are so vital to to our dancing. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.